0: It is hard to overestimate, to overstate the importance of the temple, how important the temple was for ancient Judaism. It was the central central sanctuary where God dwelt with his people. It was the holiest site. The temple was the destination of countless pilgrimages. It was the sole place one could offer sacrifice to God was in the temple in Jerusalem. It was the largest and most beautiful structure in Jerusalem. And more than that, it was seen as a representation of creation, something like a microcosm of heaven and earth. With all that in mind, imagine being a pilgrim, coming to Jerusalem and seeing the temple with its splendor, being in awe at its beauty, and hearing our Lord say, One day, Not one stone will be left upon another of what you see here. Why would he say something like that? I mean, that's just throwing a wet blanket on everyone's uh, pilgrimage. Well, there's a few reasons. And uh, first and foremost, he's predicting an event that will happen in the lifetime of many of those listening to him. You know, when we read this gospel, a lot of us immediately think Jesus is talking about the end of the world. And there's very much is a sense in which that's what he's doing. But first and foremost, he's predicting the destruction of Jerusalem and the complete annihilation of the temple, which will happen not even 40 years from when he's speaking of this in Jerusalem. It will happen in 70 AD when there will be a rebellion against Rome and the Roman army will besiege the city of Jerusalem and by the time the city falls, they will lay waste to everything that is still standing in the city, including the temple. You know, Even, even the, the wailing wall, the western wall, that was part of a retaining wall meant to expand the temple plaza. That wasn't part of the temple itself. Uh, the temple was literally, there was not one stone left upon another. But remember, I said the temple represents creation. It is this microcosm of heaven and earth. So it's destruction, the fact that Jesus is talking about this, it points to the end of the age when this world will come to an end. Right? So Jesus is also foretelling the end of the world. And, of course, our obvious follow-up would be what people ask Jesus. When will this occur? And the signs that apply to the destruction of the temple, they apply to the end of the world. There will be a time of great tribulation and persecution and false messiahs. The church will go through a final time of trial, which will shake the faith of many. And we know what this trial will look like. The catechism tells us, has a few very beautiful paragraphs about this. The catechism says, it will be in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. We certainly see both an attempt to solve our problems without reference for God and a glorification of man in place of God in our day and age. But I want to be clear, I'm not saying we're in the end times, right? The truth is that in every age, every generation, there are small a antichrist. That's what we read in uh, the first and second letters of St. John in the New Testament. Right? Antichrist who opposed Christ and is faithful. Thus, Christ's warning, do not be deceived. It applies for every generation. So do not be, do not be deceived. We cannot solve our most fundamental problems apart from God. We will not develop a technology or a pill. We will not come up with some political system that will take away the sins of the world. And do not be deceived. What is wrong with the world on its most basic and fundamental level is sin, original sin, and our personal sin. And do not be deceived. We cannot glorify ourselves in place of God. And we try to do that when we pretend to be the masters of the universe, who can determine for ourselves what is good and evil, right and wrong, who can uh, fancy ourselves capable of refashioning and manipulating reality at our will. We do so at our own peril. The catechism goes on and it says this, the church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover. When she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection, the kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by a historic triumph of the church, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. In other words, time of great trial or tribulation, we don't need to be afraid of it. In our readings today, they tell us that this world, good though it is, won't last forever. That the things in life that seem impregnable and invincible, the day will come when there won't be one stone left atop another. However, while the things of this world fade away, the word of God endures forever. God never changes or fades away. And if we live in him... We, too, will live forever. That's why Jesus tells us in advance of times of trouble, so that we can persevere in following him, so that we who believe might not be deceived, but persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith. Let's talk about faith. Recently, I've done some reading about why people fall away from the church. There's a Pew Research Center that had done this survey. And I was surprised what the number one reason was. The number one reason wasn't people disagreed with this or that teaching or were uh, disillusioned by the scandals, though there were some people who gave those as reasons. The number one reason was just a general apathy. They just slowly sort of drifted away from the church, gradually drifting away from the faith. Their faith atrophied, so to speak. That's tragic because that need not be the case. Our faith is not static. It will either grow if we nourish it, if we allow God to grow it, or it will atrophy if we choose uh, not to nourish it, not to allow God to grow it. We must nourish our faith. And we do that by coming to Mass, yes, but we need to do it daily. We don't just nourish our bodies once a week. We nourish our bodies daily. How can we do that? We do that, by, we do that by reading sacred scripture or the catechism, right? By, by Eucharistic adoration, praying daily, retreats, Bible studies, right? Part of what it means, this is part of what it means to persevere, means actively nourishing our faith. Father Mike Schmitz is a, is a priest who came out with the Bible in a Year podcast a few years ago. That's still available for free on pretty much every podcast platform. January 1st, he's coming out with catechism in a year. It's a very easy, free way to daily nourish your faith. You, know, you don't even have to read it. Someone will read it to you on your phone for free every day. Whatever we do, we must daily nourish our faith. But perseverance, perseverance is ultimately born of prayer. If we don't pray, we won't persevere. We must pray daily. And we all have 15 minutes to pray a rosary. We all have that time to sit and prayerfully read sacred scripture. Let us nourish our faith daily and pray daily so that we might persevere in the faith. For as our Lord tells us, it's by our perseverance that we will secure our lives.